Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Kyle Brownlee. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. want to welcome everyone today as we're gathered together in God's house together and also want to take a moment to look at the camera and say a big hello to all those joining us online along with all the men and women in our correctional ministry and we just count it an honor and a privilege to have you a part of our church so come on defiance help me welcome my church family today so good So good. Well, before we get into the message today, I wanted to take a moment to remind us that next weekend is our annual serve day. Come on, give it up for serve day. Love it. This this is one of the most important things that we do as a church. Everybody say serve to serve and go beyond our walls, to be the hands and feet of Jesus by serving our community together. And if you've never had a chance or the opportunity to be a part of our serve day, it's kind of hard to put into words how, how special it truly is. As hundreds of people gather together with one heart, and one purpose, and that's to make the name of Jesus famous and to serve our community together. In fact, just to kind of give us a little bit of a, a glimpse into what it looks like, I want us to take a look at the actual the recap video from last year's Serve Day. Take a look. So good. So good. And and honestly, that doesn't even really do it justice because of the relationships that not only you're building with those you're serving alongside with, but also the conversations that you're having with people in the community and the difference that we're making. It's just 
an incredible, incredible time. And so I want to encourage everyone to, to be a part, man, bring the family, uh, bring your friends, bring your crew, and uh, let's, man, let's make a difference for the name of Jesus. I mean, we have so many projects that we're doing this year. We're partnering with several different organizations throughout our community, and it's such a special time. And I was just thinking about, man, every year, it just, I'm just blown away by what God does because we have people all over the community and the team I'm serving on, I realized, man, this is just one of many teams throughout our community and God just blesses it every single year. I think one of the reasons why God blesses it is because it's his heart. I mean, it's his heart that his people would go beyond the walls and serve the community. And I think he just smiles down and says, yeah, that's my kids doing my work. And so I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. But with all that said, today we are continuing on in our sizzling summer series where we're just talking about different topics that will make not only our summer better, but also our lives. And today I want to talk to us about something that ha- that is the single greatest factor in us being successful in life. Woo! Now that's a statement. Come on, somebody. But more than anything else, this has the power to either set us up to succeed or poison our potential. And that is our attitude. Everybody say attitude. Our attitude is the most important factor that determines our success and our potential in this life. You see, our attitude can can either help us overcome the obstacles that we face in life, or it can sabotage our success. In fact, John Maxwell, the the famous leadership guru and former pastor, uh, wrote a book called The Winning Attitude. I'd highly recommend it to you. But he said this about our attitude in the book. He said, never underestimate the power of your attitude. It is the advanced man of our true selves. Its roots are inward, but its fruits are outward. It is our best friend and it is our worst enemy. It is more honest and more consistent than our words. It is the thing that either draws people to us or pushes them away from us. It is never content until it's expressed. It is the librarian of our past. It is the speaker of our present and it is the prophet of our future. How true is that about our attitudes? The the dictionary defines uh, our attitude like this, uh, the settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. And so our our attitude is typically uh, reflected in the way that we act. Another definition says a, a position of the body proper to or implying an action or mental state. In other words, you can, you can typically tell what a person's attitude is by their body language. Another definition of the word attitude is the orientation of an aircraft relative to the, the direction of travel. Now, what's interesting about this uh, part of the definition is that on an airplane, in a cockpit, there is an instrument or there is a device that the pilots have to pay close attention to, and it's called the attitude indicator. 
You see, the attitude indicator on a plane tells the pilot if the, if the aircraft is climbing, is it cruising, or is it crashing? And I wonder what the attitude indicator of our hearts would tell us about the orientation of our lives. Is our attitude causing our lives to climb, to cruise, or to crash? Zig Ziglar said it like this. He said, your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. It will determine how high and how far we go. In other words, man, attitude's a big deal. I have a saying that, that when I coach baseball, I tell all the, the boys, attitude is everything. Your attitude is either setting you up to succeed when you're in the batter's box, or your attitude is setting you up and sabotaging you from being successful. It's setting you up to fail. Attitude is everything. And how many of us know attitude is everything, not just in baseball, but in life? Like at work, in our relationships, attitude is everything. And since, since our attitudes are, are so important, the question is, what kind of attitudes should we aspire to have? Let me say it like this. As followers of Jesus, what kind of attitude does God wants, uh, want from us, want us to have? And I'll answer that question by giving us the title of the message today, and that is a servant's attitude. A servant's attitude. Let, let me show it to us in Scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 20, but let me kind of just set up, give us a little context of what's going on in this passage of Scripture. Uh, if you read a little bit earlier in this chapter, maybe verse 18, you discover that the mother of two sons, two of the disciples, uh, two sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder. Come on, somebody. Uh, this would be James and John. Their mother and James and John approached Jesus, and these two guys let their mother speak on, on their behalf, and she says, Jesus, will, will, you, will you grant this one uh, request? Will you do me a favor, Jesus, and will you allow one of my sons to sit on the right side of your throne, and will you allow the other son of thunder to sit on the left side of your throne in your kingdom? And Jesus responds to this mother by saying, woman, you can go read it yourself, woman, you have no idea what you're asking. And he says, can, can, the, can your sons drink from the cup that I'm going to be drinking from? And at this part of the, of the story, uh, James and John speak up and says, we can. How many sometimes we, we don't think before we talk? And Jesus looks at the sons of thunder and says, well, you will be drinking from my cup, but you won't be drinking from it in the way that I'm going to be drinking from it. You're not going to have to suffer the way I'm going to suffer. You're not going to have to go through what I'm going through. You're not going to, you're not, you can't, you can't follow my footsteps, sons. You, you don't understand what we're even talking about. You don't understand my kingdom. And at this part of the story, the other 10 disciples 
catch wind of what the sons of thunder are trying to do as they jockey for position, as they jockey for a title, as, as they jockey for authority. And the other 10 disciples don't like what's happening because they obviously don't want to be, get left in the dust. And so they come over and they, they start arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest and have the authority. And all of a sudden, Jesus sees what's going on. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I think he goes, shut up. Everybody get around. Shut up. You ever done that, parents? Your kids are already, I've never done it, but Justine did it last night. I just want you to know. Kids are arguing. It's just chaos. He's, shut up. Just everybody. I feel like Jesus did this with the disciples. The Bible doesn't tell us. This is my interpretation of it. But that's where we'll pick up the story in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them all together. This is important because he recognizes they, they don't have a kingdom mentality. They're not seeing the situation from, from the way that they should see it. They're, they're missing the target. They're missing the point. So he calls them all together to, to teach them a lesson. So this is important for us as followers of Jesus to pay attention. How many of you got to pay? Got to pay attention to catch what's, what's Jesus saying in this story, in this moment. And he calls them all together and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles... Lord it over them. What's he saying? The Gentiles, these are people who don't know God. They're not following God. They're not, they're not basing their lives on the truth of God's word. They don't follow the ways of God. So you know how what they do with their authority. They lord it over those underneath them. They push others down to make themselves feel more important, feel more valued, to feel better about themselves. He goes on to say, and their high officials exercise their authority over them. He's, he's trying to, to undo a lie that the church and his disciples have grabbed a hold of that what's going to bring fulfillment into our lives or purpose or make us feel more secure or better about ourselves is to push others down to make ourselves feel better or to have a higher position than someone else. I mean, we would never do it. I'm more talking about other churches, but we think that we are better than someone else based on our position, based on our authority, based on our title. And the, and the reality of it is we know the Sunday school answer. No, we should never do that. But the reality is every one of us can battle that thinking you know what I just have this position of authority I'm over them we can fall into this trap and so he looks at the disciples and says not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you you want to be great you want you you want to have purpose you want to have fulfillment because what he's, he, he's teaching the disciples is that those who are in positions of authority that lord it over people that push others down to build themselves up what's he saying sometimes those people are the most insecure people on the planet the most insecure unfulfilled people as they they try to push others down not so with you if you want to become great become a servant and whoever wants to be first you want to be first sons of thunder become a slave We'll unpack that word here in a few moments. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Not only serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. To give, I didn't, I didn't come to serve, but notice the heart that he came to serve with. To give everything that I have for others. You want to be great? You want to have authority? You want to have purpose? You want to have fulfillment? 
Become a servant. You, you want to be great? Become a slave. You want to be great? Follow my example who didn't come to be served, but came to serve. Paul echoes this teaching from Jesus in uh, the book of Philippines when he's addressing the church of Philippi. Take a look at it in, in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. He starts off by saying, adopt. The word adopt literally means to voluntarily choose. In other words, we choose our attitudes. Now, some of us might say, well, no, you don't understand what they said to me. You don't know the situation. No, no, we choose how we respond to those people. We choose how we respond to those situations. And Paul is pleading with the church, adopt, voluntarily choose. What kind of attitude? The same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God, what he, did, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, something to be grasped, something to held onto. He's echoing the same truth that Jesus was just teaching his disciples, right in Matthew chapter 20, not lording it over those who are underneath them, not, not executing, not pushing others down to build himself up. In other words, what did he do? Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Other versions here use the word slave. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. But not any old death. No, no, the suffering and the pain and the brutality and the shame of the death on a cross. So here Paul is telling us to adopt the same attitude that Jesus had, which was the attitude of a servant. And we see from those two, two scriptures, we see that these two words kind of pop up, and that is servant or serve and slave. Now, what's interesting is that when we think of slavery, uh, back in biblical times, slavery meant something totally different than our modern day perspective of what slavery was. You see, back in, in Bible times, if, if you couldn't pay your debt, for whatever reason, if you had incurred debt, maybe the economy went bad and gas was $5 a, a gallon and everything was going up, you just couldn't pay, you incurred all this debt or, or maybe a natural disaster happened and took out your business, or maybe you were a poor steward of what you had. Regardless of how it happened, if you came to a point in your life where you couldn't pay your debt, how many know they didn't have bankruptcy back then? And at the same time, this was something they took very seriously. And so if you had a debt that you could not pay, you would be thrown into prison as a result. Now, the only way that you could get out of prison is if someone came along and paid off your debt for you. Now, this would happen from time to time. A wealthy person would come along who had a lot of resource and they would pay off your debt to get you out of prison. But Jewish law said that if somebody did that for you, then you are obligated to be their servant, to be their slave for the next seven years. For the next seven years, because you might think, well, why would someone do that? Well, because they would get a servant or a slave to work for them for the next seven years. And then after seven years, regardless of how big or how small your debt was, Jewish law said that after seven years, then you were free to go. You had a fresh start. You had a clean slate. You had a new beginning. 
But every once in a while, what would happen in this case is that servant or that slave would realize, man, the debt that my master paid to get me out of prison was so much greater than what I even came close to accomplishing these past seven years. And so every once in a while, that servant or that slave would choose to willingly continue to serve their master. If they made this choice, then what they would do is they would take a nail and they would drive it through their earlobe to mark them that they were now a bond servant. A bond servant was someone who wasn't required to serve. A bond servant was someone who willingly wanted to serve because of the gratitude that they had for the compassion the master had shown to them. How many of us know this is what God has called all of us to be? A willing bond servant who serves out of the gratitude that we have for the love and the compassion that God has shown to each and every one of us. Not because we have to, but because we want to. We're grateful, God, you have done so much for me. This is the least I can do. Now, how many of us know God's not calling us to drive a nail through our ears? But at the end of service today, we're going to have all the new visitors like, oh, did we pick the wrong Sunday to go to experience church? He, he's not asking us to drive a, a nail through our ears, but he is asking us to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, who was the chief servant, and he had nails driven through his wrist and driven through his feet, and he was hung on a cross, and he died a brutal death, and he laid down his life as a ransom for many. So the least The least we can do is have a servant's attitude who serves with a heart of gratitude. You know, I was was thinking about that, even as we talk about servanthood, I was thinking about that that scripture. I can't remember. I looked it up earlier, but I forgot it already. I think it's John chapter 14, maybe verse 12, but don't quote me on that. And, um, but it's it's that scripture where Jesus is talking to the church. He says, for all who believe, Not only will you do the works that I will do, but greater works will you do than me. Have you ever heard that scripture or read that passage of scripture? I've always been kind of blown away by it. Like, man, it's really challenged my faith, to be honest with you. I'm like, man, greater works than you, Jesus. Like, I mean, Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed the sick. He raised people from the dead. And yet I'm going to do greater things than that. But I just had this thought as I was just kind of mulling over the message uh, that we're talking about today. And I just had the thought, like, what if one of the things that Jesus was referring to was the example of him laying down his life so that others could live? What if one of the things he was saying, greater works will you do than me, was he, what, what if he was referring to the heart of a servant? Be, you're, you're, you think this is, you're going to do even greater works than me. Because isn't, isn't the cross the greatest example that Jesus gave to us about what a servant's attitude really is? Where he laid it all down for us. As we talk about having a, a servant attitude today, I, was, I thought it was interesting that in our world, we, we typically use the word volunteer a lot. 
But what's interesting is that you can't find the word volunteer anywhere in the Bible. In fact, like we talked about, instead the Bible uses the term servant. And I want us to understand that there's a, there's a difference between an attitude of a volunteer and an attitude of a servant. Now, now, now hear me, I'm not saying volunteering is bad. I'm not saying that volunteering, we shouldn't do that. But I'm saying there's another level that God is calling us to, to live a life with a servant's attitude. I, just had to, I was just thinking about it, like, for example, sometimes when we have a, a volunteer attitude, we can start to think over time, man, you're lucky I'm here. Like, I'm doing you a favor volunteering here. Like, if I don't have a good experience during my, my volunteering hours, I might not come back and volunteer here again. You see, a when we have a volunteer attitude, it can carry this self-fulfilling agenda. There's maybe something we're trying to get out of uh, our volunteering. And, and that self-centered mindset can create a problem over time because it's not focused on the mission or the vision of the organization, but instead it's focused on our personal rights. It's not focused on others, it's focused on self. But a, a servant's attitude, on the other hand, is focused on others. Like when we serve, we, we add value to the other people. How am I add, adding value to your life? How are you benefiting from me serving you today? Serving is about a kingdom labor. It's about sacrificing. It's about working with this heavenly perspective and, and not, not doing things for man, like Colossians 3, 23 says, but doing everything that we do unto the Lord. You see, a servant isn't focused on me. A servant says, man, I'll help I'll, I'll fix that. I don't have an agenda. I'm not demanding anything. Where's the greatest need and what can I do to help out? And so the, the goal isn't to have an attitude of a volunteer, even though we might start out that way. The goal is to have uh, an attitude of a servant, to have the same attitude of our Savior. And so for the rest of our time here together, I want to give us six attitudes of a servant, six attitudes of a servant. And here's my hope. My, my hope is that this attitude wouldn't just show up on serve day. My hope is that this attitude wouldn't just serve up, show up on our dream team here at the church. My hope is, and I'll just be honest with you, this is a, a challenging message for me, even to preach it. Just, just know I might have one finger pointing at you, but I have like 17 fingers pointing back at me because I've been really challenged by the word today. But my hope is that this would show up in our marriages, in our families, in our children, in our church, and that God would do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can think, ask, or imagine as we position ourselves just like Jesus and have a servant's attitude. And so if you're taking notes today, the, the first attitude of a servant, number one, is that volunteering is about what you do. Serving is about who you are. So where a volunteer might say, look, look what I did or look how I did it. A servant is simply focused on sacrificing for others. What a, what a volunteer does can be noticeable from the outside, but, but servanthood is this invisible attitude of our hearts. You see, a servant understands that maybe, maybe nobody will ever recognize what I have done or what I am doing, but we understand that the one who judges the thoughts and the intentions and the motives of our hearts 
sees everything and he's the one that I'm serving anyways. He's the reason why I'm doing it anyways. Or volunteering is about what you do, man. Serving is about our hearts. It's about who we are. The second, the second um, attitude of, of a servant is, number two, is that volunteers focus on what they give. Servants focus on what Jesus gave. Come on, talk to me, church. You can't fall asleep when I'm coming at you this hard, right? It, but when we're a volunteer, we say things like, man, I've given so much time. I've given so much energy. I've given so much effort. I've given so much resource to the cause. And we can get focused on what we give. But the reason a servant serves isn't because of how much they've given, but because of how much Jesus already gave. And when we think about how much Jesus gave, man, anything we could possibly give pales in comparison to the great sacrifice of our king. And this reminded me of a story of, of two Moravian men. Maybe you've heard about the Moravian revival back in the 14th century. Maybe you haven't. I'll update you today. But it was one of the greatest moves of God in the history of the church. It's an incredible revival. In fact, the Moravians were, were known. They had this reputation of spreading the gospel of, of Jesus Christ more than any other movement and reaching people far from God. But, but the, the, the real like just power or inspiration of their story is how the movement began. You see, two young Moravian men had, had this heart to go take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to 3,000 slaves that were located on this island. The only problem was the owner of the island was a British atheist who vowed to not let the gospel or any missionary set foot on their or his island. And so these two Moravian men grappled with this this just call, this stirring, this passion that they had in their hearts to go take the gospel to these 3,000 slaves. And so somebody came to them with an idea, said, well, the only way you're going to be able to get there is if you sell yourselves into slavery and you become a slave, and that's how you get onto the island as a slave. And so these two men decided to do just that, to sell themselves into slavery, to go reach these 3,000 slaves on this island. And when it came time for them to, to, to set sail and to go sell themselves into slavery, they gathered together with their friends and their family and their church, and they said their goodbyes, and there was tears because they knew this was the last time we were going to see these two men whom we loved and the story goes that as they got on the boat and they started to sail away, these two men yelled back to everyone on the shore. They said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Now, what's powerful about that is this became the slogan for the Moravian movement. Everything was based off this slogan. And from that day, the Moravians adopted this mission to reach the poorest, most despised people in the world. 
But notice what inspired the movement. These two men who, who everyone might have been focused on the sacrifice that they were making. Instead, though, they were focused on the sacrifice that Jesus already made. As, they are, as they're going into slavery, they yell back, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering on the cross. And they weren't focused on what they gave. They were focused on what Jesus had already given. Man, this is an attitude of a servant. Number three, the third attitude of a servant is volunteers keep score, servants make sacrifices. You see, a volunteer keeps track. And so over time, we start to pile it up, look at all the things that I've done. And, and when we do that, it's easy to start getting frustrated, become discouraged, maybe get disappointed. We're not getting the attention that we wanted uh, or it cost us more than we really wanted to give. It cost us more than we thought that it would. But a, but a servant says, man, that, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I'm here to make sacrifices. It's supposed to cost me. It's supposed to inconvenience me. I'm supposed to take up my cross and follow Jesus. I'm not always supposed to enjoy it and like it. Not everything I do is going to be glamorous. Not everything I do is going to be post-worthy on social media, right? I'm going to have to get my hands dirty. I don't need the glorious jobs. I don't need the jobs that everybody sees. I can do the unrecognized things and the underappreciated jobs. That's what a servant does. And I was reminded of, and I didn't ask their permission or even tell them that I was going to talk about them today. So, but how many of us know it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission? Don't, 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 don't do as I say. I don't know what that saying is, but don't follow my lead on this. Could get you into trouble or it could be awesome. You, you pray about it. But, but I was just reminded of of two of our dream teamers, Tom and Linda Lane. I know they're in this service, but I just was thinking about their example. They, they serve on our facilities team, which is, which is a glamorous way to say that they pick up all the trash and clean the bathrooms and do the jobs that nobody else sees, but all of us benefit from. And they do it with a grateful heart. They do it behind the scenes. And they're such an inspiration to me because they realize, man, they're not keeping score. It's about the sacrifice. It's about what Jesus already has done for me. That's why we serve. And here's, and here's the, the beautiful thing. There's just one of many couples and many people who serve on our dream team around here who realize it's not about keeping a score. It's about making sacrifices because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Paul describes it this way when he, he likens the body of, of Christ to a physical body. He says, well, the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you anymore, right? In other words, it's all important. It all matters. In fact, Paul goes on to say in that passage of Scripture that it's really the unseen parts of the body that are the most important. It's things that we don't see. How many of us know we, we, can live with, we can live without things that we can physically see? We can live without fingers. We can live without a hand. We can live without a leg, but we can't live without a heart. That it's the unseen parts of the body that are the most important. And a servant, man, a servant understands this. A servant says, I'll, I'll do the inconvenient things and I'll do it at inconvenient times. This is the example that Jesus gave to every single one of us. And a volunteer, sometimes we can have an attitude like, you need me. 
Like, if I don't do this, you know how, how much trouble you're going to be in. You know this area is going to suck. You know the only reason why this area is going so well is because I'm here. I had a mentor one time tell me years ago when I first entered into ministry, he said, you know, we don't need you and we'll never need you. I was like, well, this is encouraging. <laughs> Where do I sign up, right? How much are you paying? What? But he was, he was making the point going, if you have a wrong heart or you get a wrong motive, God, God, can, God will use somebody else. But God wants to use you, right? God can use someone else, but he wants to use you. And I think we just, the, the, the mentality is when I have a volunteer mentality, I can lose sight of what really matters. But when I have a servant's attitude and a servant's heart, I, I realize, man, this, this is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of my Savior, and in and, and this, this battle that we can have, it, you see it in Scripture. It kind of reminds me of Isaiah chapter 14 when Lucifer, an angel, started making comments like, I should be on the throne. He doesn't recognize all that I've done. I have all these gifts. I all have all these talents. I, he doesn't see everything that I'm, I should be the one on the throne. And it becomes me, 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 I, I, I. And how many know that mentality will bring division to anything that God wants to do? It'll bring division to anything that God wants to do. Our heart needs to be not I-focused or me-focused. Our heart needs to be God-focused. Use me however you want to use me, God, because it's not about me. It's about you. The fourth attitude of a servant today is volunteers are time-sensitive. Servants are need-sensitive. Volunteers say, Matt, I only have this much time to give. I can only do so much, but... What a servant says is, what's the need? I'll rearrange my schedule around meeting the need. Jesus gave a, a great example in, in the Bible. We don't have time to study it today, but, but I was thinking of the Good Samaritan. This, this parable that he's telling the, the church about this man who was traveling down the road, and he was beaten almost to death. He was robbed. He was taken at gunpoint in the hood, and he was left for dead. And all of a sudden, a priest and then a Levite, these godly men come walking down the road, and they see this man in need, and they keep on walking by. I don't have the time. I don't have the resource. I can't be inconvenienced. I'm doing, going here. But then the Samaritan, the one you wouldn't think would be the one that would stop, gives up. He goes, I'll stop. I'll be inconvenienced. I'll help this man to the Holiday Inn or Super 8. Maybe he was, it was a deal there. And, and then he's like, I'll pay for their room. And then he gives them some extra money and says, whatever it costs, pay for it. And I'll come back and buy on my way back through town to, to take care of any extra expense that he might have incurred. And, and Jesus is, is challenging the church with this mentality. But then he ends the entire story by telling his disciples, now you go and do the same. You follow that example. Don't be time-sensitive. Be need-sensitive. The fifth attitude of, of a servant today is that volunteers want themselves to look good. Servants want God to look good. Hopefully, I'm not stepping on all of your toes today, just your pinky toe. Come on. I'm challenged by this, so. Serving is not about how we look. Serving is about how God can be seen by what we're doing. How can God be recognized? That's the goal of Serve Day next week, right? Is that people wouldn't see us. They would see the church. They would see Jesus. They would see God. Why are you out here? Well, let me tell you why I'm out here. Because there's this God who forgave me. There's this God who healed me. There's this God who gave me a life. I didn't think possible. I'm out here today 
scrubbing on this, fixing that, serving here, because God did it for me. I want you to know, man, God will do it for you too. Matthew chapter five, verse 14 through 16, Jesus talking to the church. He says, you church are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Come on, church, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. They may see your servant's heart. They may see your servant's attitude. And what would be the result that they would see God? that would glorify your Father in heaven, that our servant's attitude would point people to Jesus and their lives would never be the same. And there's just something away about the way that we serve that brings attention, not to ourselves, it brings attention to our God. Servants bring glory to God. Number six, and our final today is volunteering is about convenience. This might be my favorite, but serving is about commitment. Volunteering is about convenience. Serving is about commitment. And once again, we don't have time to study today, but there's this story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 17 about these people when they, when they travel, when their families travel along the road, they keep getting attacked by lions. Anybody grateful that we don't get attacked by lions today, right? So every time they leave, every time they travel along the road, they, they get attacked by these lions. And so they, they go to, to God and they, and they cry out to the creator of the universe to protect them, to, to help them in their time of need. And God answers their prayer. And God begins to protect them from the lions. But as you read down later in the story, you read this part where it's, it, it describes these people and it says, They feared the Lord, but served their own gods. They feared the Lord, but they still served their own gods. In other words, they say, God, I want just enough of you to keep the lions away. I want just enough of you not to have to suffer or experience any pain. God, I want to be connected to you, but not committed to you. And if I'm really honest, this happens in the church. God, I want just enough of you to to keep the bad things from happening to me. I want God's blessing, I want God's favor, and I'm willing to do what I need to do in order to keep the lines away. But like those people, we believe in God, we have a respect for him, but we're not willing to surrender to him. We're still living our own way. We're connected to God, but not committed to him. You know, there's a, there's a story of this, this man who sat down for, for breakfast one day and he had some bacon and some eggs on his plate, sizzling bacon. Come on, somebody. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't, go back and watch it. So he had some sizzling bacon on his plate and he had some eggs. Right before he's getting ready to dig in, someone asked him, who paid the higher price, the chicken or the pig? And he said, well, the chicken was involved, but the pig was fully committed. You with me? The chicken was involved, gave a little bit. Pig went all in with his life. (laughs) He gave it all. The pig's no longer with us. You know, it's a funny way to describe it, but 
I was challenged by that too. God, I don't want to just be connected to you. I want to be committed to you. I think a lot of Christians, we want to be involved and connected, but I'm not sure if we want to be committed. But a servant, man, a servant understands that all of us have this this pull to be self-focused, don't we? We all have that pull of selfishness. But as we realize and we remember what God has done for us, what God's brought us out of, where we would be without the cross, what our life would look like without him. Man, I would be a mess. Man, my life would be chaotic. I'd be in prison or I'd be dead, but because of what you have done for me, God. And you didn't ask for this back, but I want to come back to you because of what you have done for me. And I don't, I don't want just enough of you to keep the lions away. I, I want to be a servant of the Most High. I'm committed to serving you with all of my life. And I'll do whatever it takes to help rescue hurting people. Man, if hurting people involved, count me in. Show me where to sign up. I want to be the hands and feet. I want to give what I have been given. Because what we do, man... What we do on this earth, hopefully one day we will stand before our creator and we don't hear well done, good and faithful volunteer. We hear well done, good and faithful servant. We just follow this example where Jesus gave it all. Remember how it started. Jesus said, don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking that's going to give you fulfillment. That's going to give you meaning. That's going to pushing others down, chasing authority. No, actually, it's the heart of a servant. When you make a difference and you realize it's not about you, those are the most fulfilled people on the planet. Because we step and go, look what God is doing. Look at the lives that he's changing. Man, he's given me a joy. He's given me a peace. He's given me a purpose. This is the heart that I'm, I'm praying for that would continue on in this church at Serve Day, but I'm believing that it would spill over into our, our marriages, our homes. Come on, any parents want this harder than their children? Let's just pray right now and fast right now for our kids, right? They don't take it for granted. It's not all about them. They realize and they're grateful for what mom and dad gives to them. And they realize what mom, dad, and dad give to them is what Jesus gave to us. It all points back to him. Amen. Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you in this place, God. Wow, we are blown away by the example of our Savior who gave it all, the chief servant among servants. God, we want to have the same attitude of our King, King Jesus. That we respond to the, to the challenge that Jesus gave to us. So if we want to be great, become a servant. We want to be great, become a slave. We want to be great, follow this example of our King. He served others and gave his life up as a ransom for many. As we're praying together today, and if you just feel this stirring, if you're like me and you're just kind of challenged by the message today, you just know, man, I could have a servant's attitude at home with my spouse.
that I could have a servant's attitude. I've been frustrated that this has to get done or that has to get done. I didn't have the best response when they asked me to do this. This is an example I want to show to my kids. This is what God's calling me to be in his house, in the church. If you're just challenged by this message like me and you just, you know God's calling you to have a, a servant's attitude, would you just lift your hand just as a response to say, God, I'm, I'm convicted, I'm challenged. I understand the call. Just right where you're at, would you just open up your heart? I just want to pray a blessing over this house. God, we want to be your servants. We want to have your hearts. That in humility and gratitude that we would become bond servants, not because we have to, but because we want to. Lord, we pray for serve day, God. It would be a time where we just come together. And it's about you. People would be saved. People would be changed. People could see Jesus. God, we don't want that just to be a one-time-a-year thing. We recognize that a servant's attitude is who we are. God, let it become part of us. As we continue praying together today, maybe you were here and you would say, man, I, I don't even know God. I don't have a relationship with him. As he gave it all, I realize he's, he's calling me to give it all. If you need to, to step into a relationship with God where he gives you peace, he gives you hope, he gives you forgiveness, he gives you freedom, would you just pray this prayer with me right where you're at? Would you just say, God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Here's my heart. Here's my life. Change me. God, forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Today, in this place, I give you my life. I give you my heart, which you've always wanted. Thank you for your love that never fails. Here's my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come, come on, can we give God some praise for all he did today? So good. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings. Like an eagle and so they shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not. That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle. And so they shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on Get weird.
joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.